again about I'm all the delays also. and everything else. Oh yeah, no, it's you gotta you gotta look after your stomach. Um, yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere sometimes. Do you? <laughs> I never mind. That's TMI. No, yeah, no, that's. <laughs> do you want to do the? Uh... Do you want to do the intro? Sure, you I can try. You've to got do it that. practiced, so I think I'll let you do it. Okay. Yeah. No worries. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back once again to Too Young for This Trek. Uh, this is Eric from Epic Fails of History and several other podcasts, and we're joined once again today by Locathor. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. And this is... Uh, Let's see. So this is part of our uh, Strange New World Season 2 review. We're about halfway through the season right now. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Lost in Translation. But before we get to that, uh, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about this season so far? Um, Pretty good. Uh. I didn't like the memory loss episode so much, but other than that, I'd say they're all very strong episodes. Strong episodes of Strange New Worlds, strong episodes of Trek overall. Oh, I totally agree. Um, it, I've, I've been I've been pretty happy with it. You know, as a season, it's been a very strong season. Um, and I think it's kind of giving season one a run for its money. And season one was really solid, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, um, not to give too much away, but there have been hints at a musical episode coming soon. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so a lot happened uh, with in in the world of Star Trek uh, this like past week, just with news and announcements and all that. Um, but so we got we got uh, I think we got a couple different trailers. There was a clip from uh, season five of Discovery. I don't know if you saw that. I did not. Uh, it, it looks pretty good. You know, it looks like, you know, if if you like Discovery, it seems like more of the same, you know? Well. <laughs> um, the effects are really good. I'll say that much. Uh, season five trailer. Yeah, there's there's a trailer, but they like released like a full on clip. It's like an action scene from, I'm assuming the first episode of the season, but I don't know. Final season Kinda... exclusive clip, San Diego Comic-Con 2023. Yeah, and I guess that's maybe why all this stuff dropped was because of San Diego Comic-Con. Okay, I'll watch the 53-second trailer while you tell more. Treasure. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, it, it looks pretty cool. Um, you know, I mean, they spent a lot on this. And again, I know Discovery's been kind of divisive, to say the least. Um, you know, I overall, I like the show. I think season four kind of faltered a bit because I think what they did was they took a storyline that probably shouldn't have been a season long uh, and stretched it a little too thin. But that's just where I'm coming from. Uh, um, I'm still excited, and I still think that they have a chance to really stick the landing with this final season. But what, what are your, your thoughts? Well, what happened... Oh, sorry. Remind me of what happened in season four. Because that's the one where they're already in the future. They've already yep, solved already in the, the thing. And... Yeah, the burn. <laughs> that's... Uh, okay, so, yeah, the burn. We've talked about it before. Okay. You know, I like I liked season three overall, but that ending just mm, did not make sense to me. That was that was a bit a bit too far for me, at least. Well, uh, yeah, and the, I mean, it's 
it's the same as the season two ending basically yeah in the sense that like double down you you have this huge mystery what's in the mystery box and then there's you can't put anything in the mystery box it's good it's impossible right. there's no way you can say we that there was an explosion <laughs> that killed all interstellar ships in the alpha quadrant and presumably all of the milky way galaxy and what's the lot. explanation for the explosion you can't answer that question <laughs> yeah yeah it was a weird yeah, it was a you know it was a weird answer to that question i guess you know the yeah yeah but again that's not what we're talking about today but regardless okay so season four though i think it started out strong yeah. but it it just like as it went on it just felt like it kind of dragged a little bit and again i think it's it's because what discovery has been doing is there's usually one story arc for the whole season mm -hmm. and you got a lot of like little character arcs in between but with that one it just felt like there wasn't really enough there and they kept like you know it was a mystery again but they they kept like it really felt like they were drawing it out on purpose like it was just padding i guess filler episodes almost i don't know <laughs> something about it didn't quite work as well you know and it doubled down on the same things that people didn't like about the other seasons too so um but yeah i i think there's still a chance to do something really cool with the show you know again the setting is really interesting because you got the federation in the far future uh we've never seen this before and you know it, it's kind of interesting to see you know yeah i'm I'm looking at the trailer. Mm -hmm. It does look like visually it's up to the standard that we would expect from a high production show in 2023. It looks totally. good. Absolutely exactly. looks good. I don't want to in any way detract <laughs> on that front. However, yeah. in looking at it, I can't help but note that they keep cutting back and forth to someone who's manipulating mm -hmm. a container that's maybe like a Rubik's cube. Maybe it's a box. Maybe there are puzzles involved with this box. Maybe someone told them about puzzle box storytelling and they said, yes, we are literally going to put a puzzle box into our season. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that might be the case. Um, we'll see, you know, I'll watch it. It's Star Trek, so I'm there, but uh, you know, hopefully they do something a little bit more interesting this season. I think the whole plot line, you were asking about what season four was about. And I think the, the main plot line was there was this species that I believe was outside of the galaxy or something. Oh, yeah. With the with the fishing netting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There were drag netting it was for a... rare material or whatever. Yeah. But they were so advanced and so above, like, it was like a advanced, uh, what do you call it? Uh, species, basically. Right. Uh, but they didn't even notice, uh, like humans or whatever, you know, or human. Well, it was, I think I it was guess. like an Ender's Game type scenario where they didn't understand that there was individual people because they were some sort of hive consciousness, and so they're like, "Well, it's like if we, you know, scratch someone on the arm, they wouldn't mind the loss of a few skin cells. It's fine." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the whole thing—it was actually a really good concept, I thought. Um, you know, and. Uh, of course, you know, the crew had to kind of figure out how to communicate with them. All that's great. I just thought that it was stretched a bit too thin. Like if that reveal had happened a little bit earlier, I, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it really um kind of like Strange New Worlds figured it out. You know, they the way they deliver on Star Trek feels right. You know what I mean? Um I mean, I don't You know, episode to episode, it's a new adventure, but they still have your story arcs and all that and they've um, been doing that since Next Generation, Eric. We didn't need Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> i know we've been having episode to episode continuity that sometimes builds up since i mean and and of course yeah. the original series was episodic but the original series deliberately basically didn't have continuing storylines whereas next generation began to introduce continuing storylines exactly and i'm i'm glad that discovery tried something new and picard also tried it maybe to you know uh oh gosh <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother conversation, you know, less success is what I meant. But um, yeah, I just feel like, um, I don't know, comparing like Discovery season four to Strange New World season two, like you can see there's definitely a difference in how they're doing this. Um, and I think I prefer Strange New Worlds. I, now, I think what's really awesome about Strange New Worlds is it kind of it's kind of that bridge between episodic and long form storytelling. They You get the best of both worlds. <laughs> but um, shh. But um, I think it's <laughs> it's really hard to do season long stories, and I have mostly not seen it done well. I think there's like some shows that have so much. It off, it's but, so much yeah. rarer to do it compared to an episodic show. There's ten million yeah. episodic shows, and they're all fine. Some of them are great. Some of them are just fine. Some of them are bad. But like, it's so much easier to do the episodic <laughs> format. Um, yeah, and like people that write have practiced like when you get a new a writer and they've worked for 10 sure. years in showbiz they've been working on generally episodic things and so that's been like honed down and hammered into a excellent skill and then yeah. season long arcs are pretty rare they're not they're not completely so so like game of thrones it's tricky um the yeah. wire uh, Breaking Bad. Sure. We can name shows that have season-long oh, arcs so, and stuff. There's so many, and there's a lot of that, a lot of good ones. But too. they're really rare compared, like if, because if it's we, hard to pull off. Yeah, yeah. If we compare like the ratios of them of how often they occur, much rarer. Yeah. So it just most writers haven't practiced that skill, and I think it really showed in it showed in Picard and Discovery. Like, like yeah. the individual moments, like if you put two characters in a room and you have them talk a lot of the time, then that's just going to be a fine conversation because they know how to do the small stuff. They just don't know how to stitch, Which all, stitch it all together. Yeah, yeah the small stuff is good. The overall but picture. Yeah, the overall yeah. picture, uh, you know, <laughs> I, it's, totally I, I don't want to say they're like totally bad writers. They know how to do yeah. some of it. I just wish they focused on what they were clearly better at doing. For sure. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, so we, we got the announcement of Lower Decks season four, we got a poster and a trailer. And the, the thing yes. that really excited me about this, I saw that was, poster. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about the posters real quick. Yes. Um, have you noticed what they're doing with each season? Each season, uh, they have a poster posters. that is largely in the style of the original series movie of the same number yes <laughs> it's so great I, it's i'm good. glad they like really um stuck to that you know <laughs> yeah and it's not uh, even but, yeah. i like that they do it and they're not always doing it for the joke 
exactly. Like, it's not a setup and a punchline. It's just an amusing thing to do. I think it's just fun yeah. to do it. Yeah, um, it's, I, yeah, it's I have really, some friends really that really don't like lower decks. The humor just doesn't work for them. Like, a oh, lot really? of American humor just doesn't really work for them. It's just not sure. how they want to process jokes uh, sometimes. Gotcha. And they're like, ah, oh, not everything has to be Rick and Morty. And I'm like, no, 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 it's it's a little different than that. It, yeah. They're, they're calling upon a whole bunch of stuff. And maybe if you if you haven't been watching Star Trek, you know, since you were eight years old, I'm sure it's very different to you than yeah. if, you, if you're someone like me or even someone like you, Eric. I'm sure you've probably been watching Star Trek since you were a small child. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up on this stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it does speak to me. I really enjoy it. I also like Rick and Morty, but, like, I was worried when this came out. I was like, oh, is this just going to be a Rick and Morty clone, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely got its own flavor, I think. Uh, there's absolutely. You know, yeah, it definitely has some adult humor, and it really goes dark sometimes, like surprisingly dark. Um, but overall, I really like it. It's still got heart, you know, and it still kind of fits within Star Trek. That's the really cool thing that they've pulled off. I think I'd uh, it say feels like Star Trek in a weird, in a weird way. <laughs> I was watching season four of discovery with my friends, uh, Mactan, and I kept saying, Mactan, why are we going to therapy again? Cause every episode <laughs> we'd have to go yeah. to therapy and some person would have to talk to someone else. Oh, very rarely was it a yeah, trained it's... therapist or counselor. Sometimes they talked to Culver, and I'm really glad that Culver got to have, like, to demonstrate his medical competence as not only like like a, a hospital doctor, but also like a a medical a mental health professional. I think it's interesting yeah. that in the Star Trek future they're viewing that as a as a tighter integration. I like that idea. Sure. Um, but. I just, I was not every single episode, it felt like, and for so long. And I'm like, we don't need to go to therapy again and again and again. And then <laughs> I started rewatching um, some Lower, Lower Deck stuff. And that's honestly what, it's it's the same kind of thing that's happening in Lower Decks. Like there's a whole episode mm. where, um, uh, what's your name? Uh, uh, who's who's the main lady? R R not Rutherford? No, not Rutherford. Rutherford. Oh, hey, um, no, that's uh, the cyborg guy. Not Boimler, uh, not Tendi, Rutherford, not Tendi. Not Boimler. The last name. The daughter of the captain. Why am I... Why, why am I blanking on exactly. that? Exactly. Right that's so weird. <laughs> Lower deck She's characters. very angry at her mom. And there's a great a character. Yeah, Beckett Mariner. Yeah. Mariner. That's the word I'm <laughs> looking for. Yeah. And she's very angry at her mom, and she There's spends the, the whole Star episode doing a holodeck therapy session, basically. And I loved mm -hmm. it. And I'm like, I don't know what the difference is with this character going to therapy versus Discovery characters going to therapy. But like, and so then, like, I've been watching other Trek, and now that I've been thinking about that since watching Discovery, or yeah, Discovery season four, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sometimes you can go to therapy in a space show. It happens in TNG. <laughs> it happens in DS9. It's always been part of Star Trek. That's yeah. one element where I was grading Discovery maybe a little too harshly. It's not It's not new to Discovery. <laughs> it's always been no, there. No, totally. But I think the issue was that it was like every episode. It was Again, a little... It might have been just because it was a little too, a little too frequent. Or yeah. like maybe it wasn't quite integrated with the plots or whatever. I'm not sure what it made it seem like it was so bad on Discovery, but yeah. And we're not here to but, dwell uh, on Discovery forever. So 
<laughs> you like discovery i'm sorry I don't, i'm not gonna take up your yeah. whole day i i i like it overall i think the earlier seasons were a little stronger even though they took they really made some choices for better or worse i um, really again, liked I hope, I hope the opening two good. episodes where they like yeah made a movie like they secretly totally. just made a star trek movie and sold it as yeah. a two episode thing and i'm like yeah that's a cool movie i watch i'd watch yeah. that over some of the other star trek movies right yeah no i totally agree i'm right there with you so that that kind of hooked me early on um anyways uh enough about discovery so real quick about lower decks though season four was announced they did the trailer and poster badgie and is back. the thing that yes badgie exactly. was in that's... the poster badgie confirmed that's mm -hmm. exactly what that's ex you know i'm excited because he was such a great character. He was great. And uh, it just makes sense to bring him back. Well, given how season three ended, I thought that we were, you know, done with that sort of Rutherford made an evil AI plotline stuff. But not quite. <laughs> you can always have extra AI backups. <laughs> yep. Um, so that was cool. And I think that's about it. The I mean, the only other thing is they uh they dropped a, another episode on us early like unexpectedly oh yes which so yeah <laughs> and the reason i bring that up is because we're we're not talking about that one today but no. we'll probably be recording about that saturday i believe soon. sometime soon hopefully with tyler which would be cool that'd be very good yeah um, um, so just wanted to get that all the way before we really get into this episode. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was part of the same Comic-Con, like, giving out trailers and announcements and stuff. They're like, also, you can view the next episode right now. Yeah. I think they, like, you know, put it up on a on a projector there at the convention, and then also it was available immediately on the on the streaming. Definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, I didn't expect that to go on as long as it did, but... Uh, uh, did you want to talk about the strikes at all, or should we just like kind of leave absolutely? That? I think that we should absolutely talk about the okay. strikes because so and let's get right. into it for background. Uh, SAG-AFTRA <laughs> put out some uh guidance that uh struck they're on strike, and yes. while they're on strikes, people should basically not be promoting struck work. Is their guidance, and they had some specific podcast guidance. So at first, I said, Oh, we shouldn't do star trek podcast about that um and there was some discussion and stuff and so some people gave additional clarification that it has more to do with um the companies paying people to create podcasts to promote work that is struck work so if netflix yeah. is hiring you to do a podcast don't do that if disney or paramount or whoever is hiring like one of the studios that is being struck against is hiring you to do a podcast do not do that um definitely but then i heard Which I, I totally support that and you I, know? I i completely agree with you um i heard from a friend mighty that some other people at the in the union have been saying mm -hmm. that they don't actually want to prevent all union work they only want to prevent new union work specifically interacting with these large corporations that are bad actors but like if you are yeah, giving reasonable main... contracts as like an independent film company or something like that they're happy to continue mm -hmm. work when there's a good contract at smaller scales or anything like that so right i actually read a yeah. something about a24 um like was totally within their guidelines so they were like yeah you're good <laughs> yeah. so certain 
certain smaller studios are totally fine with, you know, not being assholes about it. Right. You you give <laughs> people the, a fair contract the and they'll work CEOs. with you. It's very it's very simple. Um, totally. And so part of it is they actually want they want to show that there's fan uproar, fan murmurings that the studios need to get back to the negotiating table instead of trying to just outlast the strikers. And so I was convinced when my friend made that argument that, that that's been set. So, you know, here we are, we're talking about Star Trek again, and we yes. completely stand with the union while we're talking about Star Trek. That's correct. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if there's a call for a like a boycott, uh, sorry, a boycott. I can't talk today. <laughs> There's a call for a boycott. We'll totally support that and make a statement and might go on a hiatus or something. So we'll have to kind of play it by ear. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, you know, yeah, since we're not, you know, funded by a major corporation that's involved in this, I yeah, figure we, we should be know. relatively safe. But and I like I said before, Eric, but I'll say it here uh, on recording. Uh, we there are sure. tons of science fiction things that are not involved in any sort of strike that we could do video games, anime, comic books. We could find stuff to talk about. If people want to listen to us, talk about something, there's always more stuff to talk about. That's a good point. So if, if if there's a boycott, we don't necessarily have to go on hiatus. We'll just, we'll just find something else to chat about. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a Star Trek video game. We could play the Star Trek video game and then talk about that. It came out, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a choose your own adventure type game thingy. Until the game developers go on strike. <laughs> they unfortunately do not have a union, so. Oh, they don't, do they? Oh, no, that's yeah, video, sad. video game developers don't have union. They're, they're, they're slowly, um, the usually QA testers at a company are the first part uh-huh. of a company that has formed a union in the relatively small number of unions. But most of the video game industry and most of the programming industry completely not yeah. protected by unions. Oh, that's not good. Well, again, we, you know, totally support uh, the writer strike, the actor strike, all that. Um, you know, pay your people what you're what they're worth, you know, <laughs> like it's it's not that hard. Um, and it's really sickening because some of these CEOs make like what millions of dollars a year. They can lose one day at the stock market a little bit, mm. and that would have covered the cost of that, paying everyone else in their production crew. Right. They're just yeah, it's not right. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the statements, like by Bob Iger and others, uh, you know, talking about how we can sit this out, you know, do, you know, it's like they just don't care. You know, they really don't care. And that's what's so upsetting, I think. Like, they don't, they don't, they don't mind if people are going to lose their jobs over this or, you know, lose their houses or worse. Or they you know? want the bad things to happen to the people. Because, I mean, it's, yeah, they, it's not even seem... at the scale we're talking about. It's not strictly about the money. They don't need the money to feed themselves or to stay in their yeah. homes. They need the money as an extension of power. They need to keep right. having power over other people. That's yep. what's going through their head, consciously or unconsciously. That's the mindset. Yeah. And that's the problem, of course. Right. Um, yeah. It's so yeah. Everything Star Trek stands against the Federation. At least stands right. against. Exactly. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, so fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, we'll go and move on. And talk about the episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lost uh, in so- Translation, Strange New Worlds, season two, episode six. Like we said, 
written by uh i want to make sure i hope i say these yeah, right that's a good call onitra johnson and david reed uh onitra johnson ampersand david reed i've heard that sometimes ampersand versus the word and means something different like they teamed up at different oh. parts of the writing or something oh um, okay and then directed by uh dan i think it's dan liu 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 l-i-u i think it's yeah it could be lou okay hmm. nice um it's so, set in 2259 this was a uh a horus sorry this was a i cannot talk today i apologize <laughs> This was an Ahura-centric episode, which I, both my wife and I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a great character, but I think uh, the actress, she does an awesome job uh, playing She her. does an amazing job. Um, let me see the actor's name. Ahura. Uh, Celia Rose Gooding, it looks like. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so... I think uh, what she did was pretty interesting with the character overall, like because you got uh, Nichelle Knuckles, obviously in the in the role originally original series, she was awesome. Zoe Zaldana, I think, did an amazing job in the Kelvin movies, right? Uh, but Celia, she kind of did her own thing with it, and I don't know how much of that was her or the writers, but like they obviously weren't trying to make her Zoe Saldana, you know. <laughs> Um, which I think was very smart, you know? She started off kind of nervous, started off with less training than the Zoe version of Uhura, obviously, um, less training than the original series, uh, Uhura. Um, Yeah. And I think that that, uh, sorry, Nichelle Nichols in the original series. Don't want to leave anyone's names off. Um, Totally, yeah. And I think it's, it's very good to i have enjoyed particularly seeing some of the characters that we saw before at like an earlier state they're not necessarily like what we saw in the original series or in the movie set because it like it's earlier in their in their in their careers in their timelines and i like Mm. that some people have said to me that they're practically not even the same character that like they don't believe that strange new worlds is like connected to the rest of star trek because they're just so different and i'm like i don't know have you ever met anyone 10 years and then 10 years like across a 10-year gap people get really different i I feel it's very appropriate to be having the the characters portrayed the way they are that's a great point and um I I wanted to talk about this on the previous episode. I just didn't make it for various reasons. Oh, please add, please add. But uh, Spock, um, oh, again, uh, the actor is eluding me. Let's see. Uh, is it Ethan Peck? Is that right? Ethan Peck is the current Spock, yes. Yes. So I think Ethan Peck is incredible as Spock. And I think this this particular Spock... this particular actor has a really challenging role with this iteration of Spock because uh, this is, like you said, it's earlier versions of the character. And, you know, we know in canon that Spock was, you know, still struggling with his identity at this point. He was, he hadn't gone full logic, you know, um, at this point. So 
we get to see some of that in the show and i think that's really interesting but it also makes like i i imagine that's a really interesting you know acting challenge on his part to kind of balance that and still make it feel like the character right it's yeah it's it must be because they well and you and you find who you're going to be for spock for discovery season two and they're like, okay, be this version of Spock. And then they're like, they put you on Strange New Worlds, and it's like, okay, keep being Spock, but also, like, you know, shift 20% this direction. And then occasionally yeah. they have episodes where, like, okay, you're human this episode, just, again, shift, like, 20% another thing, and just keep moving around. It's it's a wider, like, every time it's supposed to be, like, really sort of fixed and archetypical to uh, whatever, like... Uh, different yeah. types of Vulcan or, or like human mode off of <laughs> how, like take all your view of Vulcan DNA or whatever. And, right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this series, the other has characters, so much more nuance. human characters are just whatever. They're, they're literally just whatever. They have moods, they have things. And we think of that as, oh, it's fine. They're all humans. But when you have right. this alien role, you're supposed to act in a usually a very rigid way that connects to what we think the alien is like. Yeah, very specific. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I I and then this episode came along and they did something really interesting, which I was not expecting. I think we talked about this earlier in the season, but uh, you know, we got we've gotten two versions of Kirk prior to this. And I just assumed this was gonna be like a trope that every season we would get an alternate version of Kirk before meeting the real one, right? I thought about that. I thought to myself we're just going to keep seeing weird, not real Kirks for a long yes. time. But here and we then are. This episode comes along and completely disproved that. <laughs> he completely disproved that. Yeah. And not only did they have real, actual Kirk, but then he yes. spends the episode with Uhura instead of, he basically, mm -hmm. like, because he's, he's talked to La'an, but he basically doesn't interact with, with mm -hmm. La'an in this episode. You put Kirk back, yeah, you're like, oh, La'an's going to get moments. pulled in. It's going to be a trio doing this. Him and La'an are going to get close and stuff. No, we don't We don't get any of that. Uh, um, what did you think of Kirk in this episode? How do you feel like they handled him? I like it. I think that Kirk has always been concerned with uh, death, old age, mortality, Particularly in the movies, most of the movies yes. are about, like, getting old and still having a place even if you're old. Um, yeah, even the TNG movies did that. <laughs> yeah, the TNG movies too. And so yeah. having having Uhura, like, not be sure of herself, trying to face again the death of her parents, and then having Kirk be the one who can help talk her through that. And he doesn't even give an easy answer. Like the answer he gives yeah. is like, fuck, I don't know. He, <laughs> and because that's, yeah. that's the best answer there usually is. Um, but I think right. it's really appropriate to have Kirk and then use Kirk in that way. It's like when they had, yeah. um, uh, when they clever. had Roe come back in Picard, she came back for an yeah. episode where they had introduced that no one is who they seem to be. And you're not supposed to like trust 
anyone. There's all these betrayers going on. Yeah, that and was that is too, yeah. what is connected to Rose plot lines is having different types of infiltrator going on. Definitely. So, so bringing a character onto like to guest on, and then you sort of using their iconic themes. Well done. Well done. Yeah, I thought all of that was excellent. We get some really great character moments, but I think this whole episode kind of proves that the writers know what they're doing. Like, they know this canon really well, you know? <laughs> they're, uh, they're very skilled writers. And, yeah, I mean, they, they understand the characters, um, and it just it really works to me. Like, this feels like, you know, it, 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 I don't know. It just feels like it could really end up leading to who these characters become later on. Um, and I also thought it was really clever uh, having, you know, uh, Kirk and Sam get into a little bit of sibling, sibling rivalry. There oh, my gosh. Sam Kirk has never looked worse. <laughs> He's never looked yeah. worse than having yeah. an argument with his brother over because he's he's jealous that his brother did the thing. Mm -hmm. So Sam Kirk is upset because his father has traditional ideas of like what it is to be a man, what it is to be an officer. Um, Got to be tough having Chris Hemsworth as your dad, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's not easy. Um, and so he he did some of that, but not all of it. Whereas. Uh, James T. Kirk has been like, he's like broke the record for fastest to become a first officer or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And so he's angry at Kirk that like, that Kirk did the thing that, but I don't, it makes him look really bad. Like you could have done the same thing, Sam. I'm sorry, but you could have, or like you could have tried. You could have been in the command track. You're not going to be generally a second officer or first officer if you're in sciences. It's just not how it goes. You know that. Everybody yeah. knows that. Yeah. <laughs> so. <sighs> I kind of got where. Don't be angry at James. From, but, but I, Sam I understand. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, sure. I mean, and there's got to be a lot of problems when you have that kind of like regressed latent anger for a long time. I'm sure there are things you could find yeah. about me that I would be really angry about in a way that is not productive or sure. like that it was misdirected. I'm not angry at the right things because I'm not thinking about yeah. it clearly, but at the same time, it does make Sam still look pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was pretty clever. It was cool to see. Uh, really interesting. Cause we never really got to see that. And then TOS, so. what else do we see, Eric? There's one other, uh, I mean, I don't, uh, so in the past we've like gone through beat by beat. We, I think it's already too far into the episode to start oh, doing yeah, beat by okay. beat we'll at this point. That's fine. Stuff. But there's towards the end of the episode, sure. we see Uhura and, uh, James Kirk are in mm. the, uh, staff lounge and they're at a table. That's right. Spock approaches this table. And Spock and Kirk, not only do they meet each other, they immediately shake hands. The camera focuses yes. in. Specifically, there's a shot of them shaking hands. That was amazing. It's that was incredible. very good. <laughs> it's very good um, because when yeah. Spock nearly dies, 
and comes back and he's in the hospital bed, he reaches up and he shakes hands with Kirk. They that's what they do. When in yeah. the next movie he's like dying and can't be gotten to, they like yeah. try to touch hands on the far side of glass. They're denied that touch. This is an important such part a good point. of their relationship is this touch connection that they have. That's amazing. I didn't even consider that. And then think yeah, about there's a lot of layers to that. When Vulcans meet each other, they reach out like they don't do a full mm. handshake. They like touch their fingertips towards each other. Like like husband right. and wife will touch their fingertips towards each other because touch is mm. very powerful in Vulcan society. And yet again, Spock, who is again meeting this guy for the first time, first yeah. first date goes for the full handshake. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was it was a great moment. It was cool to see, too, because like, you know, the, the, the fun thing about the Kelvin movies was you get to see like, you know, the first time, you know, certain characters meet. But it because it was an alternate universe it doesn't really count, you know, so this show gives us the opportunity to actually get those moments in the prime timeline. And I think they absolutely nailed it. You know, I think they really nailed it. I'm happy to see uh, where and this goes. It was also great because one of the things I was worried about with how they would include Kirk in this show was I was kind of worried like it would just feel too forced, like it would make him an ensign on the Enterprise or something, which doesn't quite work with canon, you know, but like it just right. it would feel a little shoehorned in and all that. But the way they worked it in was great because he was serving on the Farragut. He's a first officer at this point, right? So yes. But he just, he just became up. first officer, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, hats off. <laughs> this this is great. It's well um, done. I like I like a slow burn. So I think this is sure. a difference between because earlier we were complaining about season long story arcs and how yes. they're often not well constructed. But when you have slow burn elements that are more mm -hmm. background, more just to the side, more B plot C plot, and you weave mm -hmm. them into an episodic thing that that's, that's very strong. And that's something that Star Trek has also historically done well. That's how most of Deep Space Nine is. After like seasons yeah, one and definitely. two, which is pretty heavily episodic. Um, certain people that worked on Next Generation of Voyager uh, stopped looking at Deep Space Nine and let it be really good. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into, I guess, the main storyline now that we've talked about all the, the cool Easter eggs and fan yeah. service and all that with uh, Kirk and whatnot. Um, so let's see. Uhura. I'm trying to remember how the episode started. Do you remember? Uh, Uhura had lost some time, I believe. There may be yeah, something she... before that. But like the, the main incident I remember is she's sitting at her station and yes. she like has been zoned out it turns out possibly up to the last four hours and she doesn't remember any of that time well there was a creepy like sound that came that came in through her intercom yes or whatever that's called the earpiece um, thing yeah yeah and that was kind of what set all of this off sort of but um although actually we I, learned later that it yeah. was not through the earpiece that's true. That's true. She thought it was, I guess, but then she started hearing it other places, right? Yeah, it's it was like it's like being psychically broadcast and only her and select other people can hear it. Which mm -hmm. is why cuz like she checks her equipment for what the like the playback was and it's not there. 
and right. it's literally it's yeah. just a psychic impression so that's why it doesn't pick up on the normal equipment but it was i guess they figured out by the end of the episode that it was going it was like latching on to a certain part of the brain that deals with language i believe yeah it's like it was like extra dimensional creatures that can just barely project like the the psychic impressions of like not full sentences but like showing visions that convey moods is about the level of control that they have which i thought was a really cool concept <laughs> yeah it's good we've seen this happen before with uh troy in the episode where yes. like no one can sleep except troy and she has to try and interpret the messages she's getting from the far side of a thingy um what i thought was really interesting about uh Uhura's hallucinations in this is that she kept seeing hammer i think that's how you say it. hammer yeah hammer hammer and uh as as we know you know he pass away in uh season one you know after that gorn attack yeah um that's and it's it's really unfortunate that he did but (laughs) yeah i thought he was great he's a great actor i'm glad this is this is a cool way to kind of bring him back a little bit for one episode as sort of a cameo and i think that's actually i want to call that out as one of the misses that strange new worlds has had that they had one character who was what could be described as like a character with disability. They had a character oh, who was blind yeah. and like That's right. not using secondary senses or like he, he was, he, he's like one of the psych, he's an Anar, which is like a more psychic version of the Andorians. And so yep. he basically acts normal, except he's blind and, um, and so forth. And then he's the character that ended up getting killed dramatically to further everyone else's stories and it just really sucks they shouldn't have done it like that it's like when they killed dr colber again uh a minority character yeah thrown off the show and then in the case of discovery they like fixed it later but maybe don't do that (laughs) yeah i kind of see your point yeah that's a good point i hadn't thought about it that way um there was literally I, you know, I other there was like other just generic extra people like who sure. who who we had in that episode that got eaten by the Gorn have one extra guy <laughs> and have that guy yeah. be the one who dramatically sacrifices himself and you can still have True. the funeral scene and everything and talk about you know how brave they were but you get to keep and cuz I mean a lot a lot of people were in the disabled community were very, very upset because they wanted someone like them to be in a show. Oh, Everyone wants people like them to be in a show. For sure. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, I didn't mean, I didn't but mean it, to change yeah. it so hard. No, that's okay. That's totally valid. I, I honestly hadn't thought of it that way, and I'm glad you pointed it out. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, because he was written off the show, it was still it was still cool to see him again. Yeah. And I thought this was kind of a clever way to, to do that, especially because he was kind of a mentor to to Ahura. Um, so I thought all those scenes were pretty awesome. Like the the video, it was kind of like she was like watching a YouTube tutorial on how to fix the nacelles or whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, and I want to point out that nacelle scene was awesome. That whole set was great. Yeah. Uh, it took me a bit to kind of figure out like, did you notice like you actually get to see both the front and the back of the nacelle from inside that room? Yes. No, that's kind of a silly little detail, but I thought that was cool because we've seen the inside of like uh, the nacelles in like Enterprise D, I want to say on in, yes. in TNG. Yep. 
Um, but it was always just a generic room or whatever. It could have been anywhere on the ship. No. This specifically looked, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think, so they had, uh, in, in, the, in the Enterprise D nacelles, there was like yeah. a normal looking room, but then they had like a yeah. big window and then it did like a composition that looked back onto some huge thing. Uh, and then like, I don't, that probably wasn't part of the real set. That was green screen or whatever they did to make it look together. But I think, I think it looked unique enough on the Enterprise D. Yeah, no, totally. It, it has been a minute since I've seen those episodes. I, I do remember a couple episodes really dealt with that, but, uh, there, it's been a minute, but yeah, there's one in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that TOS ever really showed the nacelles much. No, they show the, the main engine room, which we've yeah. also seen before in uh, Strange New Worlds, but they didn't. It looks a lot up. better in the new show. There's like <laughs> a, a Jeffrey's tube ladder or whatever. Anytime Scotty had to do advanced repairs, he would go up onto the ladder thingy. That's and, right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, I just thought that set was really cool. I don't think we'd seen it prior to this, and they used it well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I always, uh, you know, there's that joke about me and the cells. But honestly, I thought it was cool. I, I love the Starship show stuff in the newer shows. I think that stuff's always great. Um, so let's see, what else happened? Zombie Hammer was pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah. That was like like the first time we saw him, it's like, oh, what? Uh, but, you know, obviously it's because that's how the alien was trying to communicate that there was something going on that they had to fix. And right. Yeah, that they were it made sense by the end. And that there was, was danger. Yeah. So um, um, we see that also what we don't see is um, there are other types of visions, apparently. I guess what they're doing is they're like giving impressions to the person and then it's resolving with what's the rest of what's in their brain. We see a second person being affected by this on the space station crew. And he's yeah. muttering about stuff, but he's like too incoherent to really make sense of what he doesn't give clear descriptions of what he's seeing. And the camera doesn't give him the interiority for us to like see from his perspective as to whatever he's going through. But it's like unique to the individual these visions are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was um there was a couple pretty intense moments uh when that guy, you know, um he, I think he stabbed Mabanga? Yeah, he picked up so they they get him once they realize that bay. he's been sabotaging the space station. They get him to sick bay. And mm -hmm. then they get blasted by another wave of these psychic visions. And so he picks up the nearest thing. It's not an actual knife. It's actually it's some sort of little thing with a cone on it which yeah. we've seen before in uh the original series like mccoy yeah. had one of these little tiny metal cone tools and that's why it's in the sick bay now instead of you know the sort of stuff that robert ricardo had as, as a voyager doctor <laughs> right. um i guess it's like a high-tech scalpel it's scalpel, some sort of scalpelish thing and he like swipes yeah. it really fast and it cuts into Mabenga. So it's got like the edge of the cone is a force field that's sharp or something. Yeah. Um, and so then he runs off while he has like while he's on a rampage, he also cuts another person and then 
goes through astrometrics to get up to the nacelle or something like that. It's yeah. unclear how he gets to the nacelle, but he does. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure on that, but you know, I'm sure there's a way. Yeah. Maybe maybe he just went past really astrometrics. Like it's it's just on the hallway to the nacelle or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um but yeah, I thought that whole scene was pretty intense. I didn't quite expect it to take a turn like that. Right. Um, and then I was also really worried when Ahura had her phaser trained on him. I was like, right. if she misses, this whole ship could go Don't up. Don't <laughs> fire phasers in the warp core or in the nacelles. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's like part of that same system, you know? So it's like, yikes. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought this episode was great. Um. I know there's I know we're not quite going in order, but is there anything significant we missed? There's just a lot of little things to talk about, I feel like. <laughs> so it turns out one of the things that we didn't quite cover because it's partly covered a little earlier and partly covered later in the episode is that sure. um, we see uh, the chief engineer, uh, Pelia, yeah. and she is talking to Una and yeah. Una, she doesn't get along with Una. And Una says, some great it's because you gave too, me a C apparently. when you were a professor. And I did a lot of work, and you still gave me a C. Yeah. And then Pelia says, well, you earned that C because your work was sloppy. And that's not the problem. The problem is that I replaced Hammer. And like yeah. you would be mad with any chief engineer on this ship. Any chief engineer, because they replaced Hammer. And you're not prepared to deal with that. But if you want to, we can pretend it's because I gave you a C when I was your professor. And we don't have to talk about that part. And Una... That was great. It, It's a little hard to read her body language, I felt. But she seemed to sort of come to accept this. And perhaps we will see her get along with Pelia in the future. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. I hope so. Um, Pelia, star character. Instant hit. For sure. She's great. I love her. Um, I love both of them. I've always loved Una, and it's great that she actually gets her own show finally. You know, Does we she? only had the one episode with her in the pilot. Well, she's she's a main character. Oh, on the series, she is a character they... on this. On um, this, I thought you were saying yeah. that there was going to be another because they've been doing Star Trek spinoff no. stuff lately. I'm like, oh, oh what? No. Oh yeah, I mean, I I would totally watch it. But... I watch it. <laughs> Sorry. I think she's not. I guess what I mean is, I think she's I've underused always... in this show. Yeah, she's I, the I first officer, agree. and we don't see her that much. Yeah, I was wasn't sure if that was just me, but it does feel like there haven't been a lot of you know what it is. Centric. They used but. to do a lot of go to the conference room and talk about a problem scenarios on TNG, yeah, get a, on a Deep Space Nine, memory. on Voyager. We're always going to the conference room and we're having a big meeting where everyone says some lines, but we don't do that much <laughs> on Strange New Worlds. So we don't see like if it's not an episode about Una then we basically don't see her that episode. Yeah. We're missing that. We bring conference rooms back. Oh, I'm totally down for that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but I always thought she was a cool character from her one appearance in the cage. Um, and I know there's like, she's in books and stuff like that. Um, and I always wanted to know more about her. So I was just really excited when she showed up in discovery and I was so glad that we got this series you know, because she's always been an interesting character that we just didn't get a lot of. Kind of like Pike. Like, he was another character. I was always 
fascinated by and i think it's just because we had the one episode to go off of you know <laughs> yeah and that was um what's your name that was a uh, major bear the, the, the original portrayal of that's una and then and then we got her in other star trek because she was the voice of the computer for those who are not aware as well as right. being walks on a troy Yep. <laughs> amazing, exactly. amazing work all the time. Even if you don't like Waxana Troy, you have to agree oh, she... it's well done as a role. She gives it her all. Right. Yeah. She's going to be That's swaying right. your emotions and you're just going to be in her grasp while she's on the screen. That's right. <laughs> I don't love a lot of episodes with her, but just like with Q, there's a lot of Q episodes I don't love, but John Delancey is always amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you give a good actor a bad script and they'll just go with it. That's what it means to be That's professional. Right. Exactly. Um, well, uh, let's see. Is there anything we missed with this one? Lost translation? Um, we do have the... There is one scene where Kirk and La'an talk to each other a little bit. And he says, I'm still going to get that drink with you someday or whatever. And she sort of nods. Um, so that that right. may go somewhere farther. Um, hope so. I hope so. Uh, and we see. I want to say that we might see some chapel, Spock stuff. Question marks. I know that happens next episode. I'm trying <laughs> carefully not to talk yeah. about the next episode. So it's really tough, and that's that's kind of why I was having a hard time remembering remembering what was on this one because. A lot happens in the next one, too. <laughs> you know, I like this episode. I'm just... I'm not sure that this is a long-term... Like, the, the story is kind of okay, but you stick it right after this huge shenanigans episode and right before the other sort of episode. I don't know. Sure. It might get lost in the shuffle long-term, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I really but like it, it though. Yeah, I think it has some amazing moments. Like we, like you said, that uh, Kirk Spock handshake that alone good. makes this like an essential episode. You know, um, yeah. So it's really cool because there's a lot of foreshadowing for what we'll see in TOS. Um, and you know, it was kind of a clever storyline about you know, um, a you know the resource. What what was that called? The Detrunium? Did some Technobabble? Deuterium. Uh, you know, because we don't get a lot surely of Surely you've heard of deuterium before. Oh, they, for sure. They don't shut up about deuterium in Voyager. It's the only thing they talk about. They're constantly in the search <laughs> of deuterium. Yeah. Part of the part of the joke here is that deuterium can be found in basically every star or whatever. It's like one of the most it's like it's like a so abundant. Yeah, it's one of the most common things. Like it's a, it's uh, it's an isotope or whatever. It's not the the default mode of that um, element, uh, but it's like, you know, you if they were searching for iron or you know something a little rarer, maybe uranium. Then okay, yeah, you have to look. You have to look hard to find a planet with lots of uranium, maybe. But deuterium, it's every star. Right, like um. At lithium crystals, we understand that that's kind of a reason. That's sort yeah, of yeah. It's a kind of crystal that's rare. Solid stuff is anything lighter yeah. than iron is going to be super common, and anything heavier than iron is going to be super rare. And the reason for this, like real world reason for this, is because uh, when iron fuses, 
energy hmm. is lost instead of like like it takes energy to fuse iron and anything lighter it like gives off energy so so when stars do like hydrogen to helium and stuff they're like giving off energy and they're shining and stuff and yeah. things heavier than iron are produced when a star actually explodes because those explosions are violent enough to like force together heavier stuff to form things heavier than iron so that's why those are so rare so uh, and a special crystal, you know, crystals have to form under the right conditions or whatever. So, of course, yeah. that could be rare. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and you know, it's it, they did something interesting with the cannon by making it uh, a limited resource that they can't replicate because, you know, the reason there isn't an economy in the Federation is because they can you can just replicate food and stuff like that. But their main energy source isn't something they can replicate. Right. So it does kind of add an interesting, like, you know, political situation with the Klingons and stuff sometimes, you know, sort stuff of. like that. I guess. And this is sort of another one of those things, I guess, in, that they can't just replicate. In the original series, dilithium crystals were considered a hot commodity because yeah. they couldn't be restored. Once they were used, they would, like, break or whatever, and then they, they were done for. Um, yeah, but then uh, Scotty, of all people, actually introduced like a crystal restoration technology, I guess, or somehow it was introduced right. to the Federation, and then everyone had all the dilithium crystals they could possibly need. You can fix up right. your own dilithium crystals by swinging a magic wand at it, and so <laughs> that's that's why in yeah. TNG they don't talk about needing new access to dilithium crystals anymore basically like they, they made up a reason yeah, yeah they can just renew them and then yeah you know i guess far enough in the future dilithium sources stop being as productive like it it makes it like 90 percent recoverable but they still go down over time so they still have to mine out these crystals or something yeah because of like everyone keeps using them and then the reasons. burn and then after the burn they're still using <laughs> yeah, them some the of the time i don't know yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole but, thing. But I did think this deuterium storyline was kind of interesting because it sort of reminded me of like, you know, what we're dealing with in the real world today with climate change and all that, which is caused by the burning of fossil fuels. And that leads to all sorts of horrible things yeah. uh, with our environment. And in this case, they didn't even realize what was going on. But as soon as they realized that they were harming sentient species they so stopped we know? didn't we actually the didn't Federation cover that awesome. part you asked what what we hadn't covered that yeah. the reason is because the extra-dimensional beings would like form with with normal dimensional matter and some of them had been bound onto the deuterium in the nebula that they were trying to collect and so it was like mm. pulling these aliens into the engine and burning them off as fuel <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um very nightmarish. Kind of right over that. Honestly. Um yeah, so they sure. they they purge all the all the collected deuterium out of their engines and they immediately like Uhura says that they should fire torpedoes at the thing and I was like yeah. are you sure you you just built the whole thing maybe maybe just take it apart a little bit save those parts take them somewhere else. But no, you fire right. torpedoes at it and it blows up as dramatically as possible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. 
It was cool looking. It's good they didn't <laughs> talk to an admiral. If they had talked to an admirable, an admiral yeah. about uh, how how to respond to the situation, they'd say, "Oh well, we don't know if these interdimensional beings are intelligent enough." And anyway, the Federation really needs it, and then yada yada. And then they would have just kept on doing it because that's how admirals are. Lots of are. red tape and bureaucracy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Especially in this era, you know, you can't trust those admirals. Can't trust um, a admiral. <laughs> but at least they evacuated uh before blowing up the thing at least they evacuated before blowing it up. i i think we can trust yeah. pike that much to at least evacuate yeah. before blowing it up and i do love pike's reaction when a is like we gotta blow the thing up or whatever she said you know uh he was like very skeptical at first and it just how many gold with his acting choices there i thought <laughs> yeah yeah, he's he's not. You can totally sure. see from his position that's got to be that's got to be you know, kind of a complicated situation. He has to explain all this to his bosses afterwards. You know. Yeah, he wants to double check that Uhura is like lucid, because because the other guy Ramon was like really far gone and not true. making sense. And so he he double checks that Uhura is making sense and that like the other people with her are agreeing that yeah she's on the right page. And then he just goes with it, and he trusts his experts. Yeah. That's, and I, I mentioned that before in previous episodes. He has skilled staff, and he knows when to trust them. That's good leadership. Totally. I think I think Pike's a great captain. I To me, he's a good mix between Picard and Kirk. You know, he's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I might have yeah. said that before, but I <laughs> I stand by it. You hey, know? you know, sometimes you got to repeat a point if you really want to hammer it home. And if Pike's going to be a great leader every episode, then we can talk about how he's a great leader every episode. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I think that's all my thoughts on this one. Yeah. Um, normally, we would suppose what might happen in the next episode. The next episode, those old scientists... But it was surprise drop, so we've already seen it. So we're not going to suppose too much. Don't want to give away anything for those who haven't seen it yet. Sure. We'll I will talk say about it soon. Yeah, it's great. I, I will say Good it was episode. a great episode. It was a great uh, episode. It's yeah. Some people asked, do I need to have seen Lower Decks to see this crossover episode? The answer is absolutely not. You can pick up within like a minute like who these characters are they're very sort of self-explanatory it's always easy to meet a new star trek character and so then, sure. you, then you just go with it it's like having any other guest star so yeah, I you don't worry about having seen lower decks yet for sure and i think i think um was it steven was asking about that in the chat earlier yeah yeah um i told you know i i i do think that you can kind of jump in on any episode of strange new worlds and enjoy it for what it is um I do recommend watch at least going back eventually and watching the early seasons of discovery that kind of set up strange new worlds. But I think on its own, it, it totally works. So I'd say you don't have to watch any lower decks or strange new worlds. If you have seen them, it, it does add a little bit, I think, because they handle it really well. I was kind of surprised. I was going into that episode a little worried and I think they pulled it off a little worried. All right. I think so. Yeah. I, I was, I, you know, because the tones of both shows are kind of different. I guess Strange New Worlds has humor in it. And yeah, Lower Decks can kind of be serious sometimes. But I think like meshing those seeing, and making it work, I've action seeing, and animated. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> that's I it. 
I, I was unsure until I saw the two animated characters, like the actors dressed up as their characters, and it was so close, and I said, this is, like, it's going to work. Because we've seen them do, like, funny antic stuff with Spock and Tepring, I believe her name is. Yeah, um, definitely. And so, like, I, I know that they have the skills to write something funny. It's just, like, would it sort of feel out of place to do this jump over? And at least for Mariner and Boimler, it really works. I don't... Honestly, I don't really remember what the other two actors look like that voice the characters of Tendi and Rutherford. I don't know. I'm oh, sure yeah. they could do a good job. These There are very skilled professional makeup people working on this show. I'm sure they could do it. <laughs> for sure. Maybe, uh, maybe I guess that's we'll get next into the... season. <laughs> It's a crossover yeah, episode, knows? but it's Cindy Rutherford that time. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> It'd be very funny. Uh, but we'll see, um, and we'll talk about that more next time. More next time. Uh, so, uh, yes, are we beaming somewhere? Uh, we're beaming to whatever planet has that portal on it. Krulmuth Kr Kr B. We're beaming to Krulmuth okay. B. <laughs> I guess we should uh, bring some jackets. It looks pretty cold there. It looks a little chilly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Two to beam out. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs>